Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Well, good morning, Lifehouse family. How's everyone doing? Everyone doing good? So good to see everybody here. We just want to welcome you to church. You guys are the hardcore crowd. You guys are here at a 9 a.m. service after Thanksgiving weekend. Give yourselves a hand, man. I mean, that's some, that's some tough stuff right there. After eating all that turkey and pumpkin pie, you come to church at 9 a.m. on a Sunday, man. You guys are troopers. We just want to say welcome. If this is your first, second, or third time, we just want to once again say welcome. Lifehouse family, can we just give all of our first, second, and third time guests just a warm welcome? We are so glad that you are with us today. Today's going to be a little bit different. So um, I am not preaching, so everyone can say, oh, thank God. Right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, hopefully, I'm kidding. Right? You know, I mean, you guys love me, right? Okay, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Today's going to be a tad bit different where uh, I, I will tell you a little bit more about that later. So today isn't going to be our typical um, normal service flow, and part and, and part of that is we are actually going to receive the offering now instead of at the end of service because we want to do something a little bit different after uh, or towards the end of service. So if I could have my ushers ready, we're going to receive today's offering. And uh, something that we did yesterday that was completely awesome is is we went down to downtown Newport News um, at. Nehemiah's Nook, that is a ministry in downtown Newport News that, that, um, that serves there every single Saturday, and we get the opportunity as a church to go down there the fourth Saturday of each, of, of each month and serve them breakfast give out clothes. We actually did a clothing drive and things like and, and things like that, and it was absolutely incredible. And um, so uh, and, and, and so we just shot um, a little bit of footage that we want to show you really, really quick uh, about what we did yesterday and what you gave towards in the month of November. Check this out. Staring into your eyes makes my heart come alive. Suddenly brought to life when I'm... It was an awesome day today. Got in the kitchen. We fired up some chickens. I did some waffles and prepared a, a, a good meal with some... Uh, with some good people here this morning, man. It was an awesome, awesome uh, day to serve, especially with, with my Lifehouse family and my brother. No, God is going to show people his love with or without us. And the fact that he came and he gave us a gift and he allowed us to share with these folks today. It was just a blessing. There were about, I'd say probably 55 uh, guests that came and we served a meal. We loved up on them. We gave them some clothing. They're out there and I hope and pray in a better position than they were when they, when they came in. And we had probably 25 or 30 Lifehouse volunteers that came. And it was just a, a, just a blessing. A blessing to be here. And, Wasn't that awesome, Lifehouse family, man? Because you give stuff, stuff like that happens. Because you give generously, we can be generous in return to our community and beyond. So thank you for giving and being generous. If you did not have a chance to give in the 
bucket, there is a couple of different ways you can also give. You can give online at give2lifehouse.com, um, but you can also give on your way out. We have a giving box out there as well if you'd like to sow into what God is doing here at Lifehouse Church. All right, so hey, we are uh, doing something a little bit differently today. So let me give you a heads up so you're not like, what the heck is going on here, okay? So we are going to have eight different communicators. You're like, this is going to be an eight-hour sermon. No. We're going to have eight different communicators speaking for five minutes each. So maybe you've been a part of what's called a platform sermon, or um, I've seen it done, something called like seven in seven, where you kind of have seven different communicators speak for seven minutes each, but we're doing eight in five, so it's going to hopefully be right around 40, 40 minutes. I've told them we have a countdown clock here, because here's the thing. I, I know when people preach, the adrenaline gets going, and the Holy Spirit moves, and he gets eight minutes, and she gets nine minutes, and you get seven minutes, and then the next thing you know, we're at a two-and-a-half-hour sermon. So we have practice. We've told them five minutes. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to you, and you're going to prepare for five minutes, so hopefully we will be right around 40, 41 minutes, but man, I tell you, you are in for a treat today. So kind of the, the genesis of this whole thing is um, I took eight different people through, through a preaching class that we did online and, and, and basically just saying, hey, look, you know what? These people, they want to be communicators. They're currently serving in different communicating positions within our church. And, and we say, look, we want to get better. And then, and then I said, okay, cool. The, 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 the final thing that you're going to do is, for your, is you're going to preach a five-minute sermon on a Sunday, a, a Sunday morning. And they were like, what? I was like, oh, yeah, baby. We're going to put you in the fire. We're going to put you in the fire. But, but God is going to speak to you, and you're going to have something to share with everybody. And uh, so, you know what? That's where we're at now. And, and look, we have prepared practice. We got to get together on Friday morning, and we spent about three hours going through it, preparing, giving, feed, giving feed, feedback, and making sure that we want to share with you exactly what God has put in their hearts. And I'm telling you, today is going to be awesome. It's going to be impactful. We're finishing up our huh series. Give someone a good huh face and tell them huh. Turn to someone else and say huh. Finishing our huh series, talking about the crazy sayings that Jesus has said or the crazy things that Jesus has done that makes us say huh, right? So they have each picked a huh part of Jesus that they're going to share with us today in five minutes. And I believe you need to get your keyboards ready on your phone. You need to get your pens ready with, with, with your pad. What, whatever you got to do to take notes, I'm telling you, if you open up your heart today, God will speak to you in a powerful, powerful way. So we're not going to, you know, we're not going to tarry no more. We're going to jump right on in it. Are you guys ready for some speed preaching, for some speed listening? It's going to be an amazing day. Come on now, look. This is what I want us to do. I, here's the thing. I want us at this church not to be so caught up in who is communicating. Because we can say, oh, Pastor John, I ain't preaching. Oh, my God, I'm, I'm outie. You know, it's like, no, nah, hey, look, we need the word of God. We don't, we don't want to just, uh, like, we need the word of God. We don't care who it's coming from. Like, I mean, yeah, we care. Like, we don't want to put some, like, weird, you know, person the, the, that doesn't know the Bible up here. But at the same time, we want your soul to be so hungry for, for God's word that you're like, give it to me. I don't, you know. If he's up there, I want to receive because there's something that we can learn from everybody. 
Okay, so look, get your heart ready to receive a word from God today, huh, series. I'm going to give it to my good friend and brother, Christian Sinan. Lead us off, bro. Good morning. What if, what if I told you that I wanted to start a church and I wanted you to join me? Lifehouse anywhere closer to the equator than here right now. Like, some of you would look at me kind of like you're looking at me right now, like, who are you? <laughs> What, what, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? And then what if I looked at you and said, oh, yes, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. My name is Christian. I am a potty mouth, backstabbing liar who uh, failed Bible college and uh, <laughs> had anger issues and might have violent tendencies. And I want you to come start a church with me. What do you say? Yes, huh? Like... <laughs> Some of, you, some of you are already like, he's wearing a black cross. I think he's part of an occult. Just play along until we get the kids in the car. <laughs> like, like texting John, do you know this guy from Lifehouse? Like, like, he's crazy. What's even crazier is that this is the actual story and resume of somebody in the Bible who had similar dreams and aspirations. Let's take a look at what Jesus had to say to him. Matthew uh, chapter 16, verse 18. And it says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter? Wait a minute. This is Peter? Huh? You mean the, the fisherman who failed Bible school and then, and then went on to stab Jesus in the back and lie about even knowing him and in the process cut off somebody's ear? Huh? You're telling me that he's going to be the one that you're going to start the church with? Um, this guy couldn't get a job at McDonald's. He cut off somebody's ear. Like, it wouldn't work out in today's day and age ever. But first, turn to your neighbor and say, you were planned for a purpose. Perfect. Now, if you were like me, or if you're like Peter, you probably felt a little squeamish inside when someone said that to you, or you laughed. Why? Why do we feel that way? Because when we look at God's best, and we look at what he has planned for us, we start looking at like a job application. And we start looking at the qualifications that are needed in order to uh, fulfill God's best. And we hold up our tattered resume, and we begin to look at it and look at the holes that we have in our resume and in our lives, how we don't add up to the qualifications that are needed for God's best. So what do we do? We do what we normally do with an application that we aren't qualified for. We take it, ball it up, throw it away. And the sad thing is, is that we miss the bottom part where it says in large print that grace can change everything. Now, what is grace? Grace is simply the free, unearned favor of God because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and paid all of our debt for all of our mistakes. And that grace is open for you. By the way, that Peter guy that we were just talking about, after Jesus dies, comes back, and ascends into heaven, Peter becomes filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches the first sermon about the saving grace of Jesus Christ, and 3,000 people are saved and added to the church that day. But how? How can a man like Peter, with all his problems, on his very first sermon, reach 3,000 people? How can that be? Because when the Holy Spirit enters your life, the Holy Spirit takes the holes in your life and in your resume, 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 and makes them whole again. When I was a kid, my grandparents got me a dartboard. 
And all the parents in the room were like, oh, dear God, no. <laughs> like, they, that terrible idea. And it was. I spent all of winter in my room practicing darts. So when spring came and it was time to clean the house, there were holes everywhere. Like, everywhere. But instead of throwing me out of the house, which my family should have done, <laughs> they took spackling. And they took, and spackling is just a consistency they use to cover holes, right? Fill holes. So they begin to fill the holes. That's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. When we begin to submit ourselves to Christ and we submit ourselves to the working of the Holy Spirit, it begins to fill the holes. Now, here's the thing when you fill those holes, sometimes you can still see the scar tissue that remains from the holes. But nothing covers up those cigars better than a good, nice, fresh coat of grace that comes down. The blood of Jesus Christ that comes down over, it covers up those scars. And you can have that today too, if you submit yourselves. Peter was a backstabbing, lying person who failed Bible college and became the founder of the modern day church. Paul was a Christian killer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jacob was a lying cheat. Moses was a stuttering murderer. Wrap your head around that. Like, I'm going to kill you. Like, the, that, not a guy that you think God would use, right? But he was a stuttering murderer. And you and I, you can fill in the blank on that. I don't know your story. I don't know your resume. But what I do know is when you submit yourself to God's best and his Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit will take the holes in your life and make you whole again. So our mission statement here at Lifehouse Newport News is to help all people experience life change through Jesus Christ. And forgive the, uh, forgive the, self, the selfless plug, but I teach that Life Track course that they uh, showed in the beginning. And, and you know, in, our first, in that first section of the class, we spend a little bit of time talking about what life change through Christ means here today at Lifehouse. Right? But what I want to do today is talk to you a little bit more about what it looks like in Scripture. Okay, So I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 19, where he gives his account of Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's passing through the city of Jericho. And in true Jesus fashion, he's got a crowd, a humongous crowd around him, and he's walking down the street. And there's a gentleman there by the name of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus so desperately wants to see Jesus. But I got to give you some details about Zacchaeus. He is the chief tax collector, okay? So these folks, the tax collectors in that day, were known for being corrupt. He was their boss. So he was the corruptest of the corrupt, okay? So he wanted to see Jesus, but the crowd was, the crowd was so big and he was so short, he couldn't see him. So what did he do? He ran down the street to a tree, a sycamore tree, and he stood up there in that sycamore tree waiting for Jesus to come. And, 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 and the hum moment, the hum moment comes in verse 5 in chapter 19, and it says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Not tomorrow, but today. And, and, and the, 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 the hum moments come in the two words in this, in this two, two things in this, in this verse. The first thing is the the. If you see, it says, 
um, Jesus came to the place, right? So this is something about Jesus. He will meet you in your place, right where you are. He walked down and he knew exactly, listen, he knew where Zacchaeus was physically, but more importantly, he knew where he was spiritually. He was in that tree, broken, laden with sin, and looking for a savior, a savior like no other, like Jesus Christ, okay? So, so he called him down, and what did Zacchaeus do? He came running. He came running. And the word says he received Jesus joyfully, joyfully. Now, I know that this is the hum moment. You know why? There were a bunch of haters around, and the haters around there were saying, how dare he go to the home of a sinner? Who does he think he is? There are other of us that, that he deserves. To, he, he needs to come to our home. But he didn't. He chose a sinner. And it says in verse 10, do you know why he chose the sinner? The son of man came to seek and save what? The lost. Okay? So that's who Jesus was, and that's what he did. Now, um, so, so he gets back to, they get back to Zacchaeus' house. And what's the first thing Zacchaeus says? Lord, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. The second thing he says is, if I have defrauded anyone, anyone, I will pay them back fourfold. Okay? So this is, when I talk about life change through Christ, this is the epitome of what we're talking about. He came, he received Jesus, and Jesus changed him. Okay? And the key thing is this. It's not that he, it's not that he gave away his money. It's the positioning of his heart. His, he had a change in his heart. His heart changed. And folks, this is what life change through Christ is all about. We're trying to show you here and help you come to see and have relationship with Christ and have him change your heart. So what does that mean today? And I don't mean in today's culture. I mean today, right here, right now. Every single believer in this room, at some point in time, had their Zacchaeus moment. And they were sitting up in that tree, laden with sin. And Jesus called, and you responded. This message is for someone today. This message is for someone today because someone in this room is sitting here in that tree, wanting a savior. And you feel that tugging on your heartstrings. Okay, you feel the tugging on your heartstrings, and guess what? Nothing but the love of Christ will satisfy that tug. Nothing but the love of Christ will satisfy that tug. So I urge you, I've got two words, come down. Yes. Come down. Thank you. Good morning, Lifehouse. Now, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. And now we're in the season where there's supposed to be peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But how many of you growing up have seen the picture of Jesus as a lamb? You see this lamb right here? He looks so docile. He looks so weak. He looks like he wouldn't hurt a fly. So many times that's our perception of Jesus. But the truth is, is that Jesus is a lion. In fact, he's called the Lion of Judah. He has made us victorious over every situation. 
Now, if we look at these two pictures together, we're going to see in Scripture how Jesus embodies characteristics of a lamb and characteristics of the lion. We know Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. When we receive Jesus, we receive his peace. When we don't receive Jesus, we are at war with God. And in fact, when we look in Matthew 10, 34, it says, Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Huh? Jesus didn't come to bring peace? I missed the memo on that. When we were growing up and we hear about Jesus, we hear about, oh, Jesus, the meek, humble one. But Jesus is, in fact, strong like a lion. And when you think about a lion, a lion is one that's a, a protector. He defends his, his, his pride. He defends his people. And Jesus is an advocate for us. He always comes against the enemy on our behalf. So let's think about this aspect of Jesus. He didn't come to bring peace. Well, what did he come to bring? He came to bring truth. And in fact, Jesus was a G. Now, for our, for our beloved that are from an earlier generation, amen, a G is a person who, no matter what, stands up for what they believe in at all costs, by any means necessary, they defend what they believe in. And Jesus is a G. He never bowed. He never folded. He stood up for what God called him to do in this earth. Now, Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace, meaning when we receive him, we receive peace. We have peace with God. God walks with us. He is in us through the Holy Spirit, and we hear him, and we're able to move about in the earth and do the things that he's called us to do. But when we reject Jesus, we reject peace. We reject the strength of God to get us through this life, and we find ourselves at odds with God, and we find ourselves wandering around, not able to do the things that God has called us to do. But when we receive Jesus, we receive his truth. We receive his sword, and by default, we are comforted, healed, and set free. Now, the other thing that truth causes us to do is to make a decision. Truth causes us to examine our hearts and make a decision this day who we are going to serve. When you receive truth, when you hear the word and you examine yourself, you see where you fall. You see how far you come short. And you have to make a decision. Am I going to follow Jesus today or am I going to continue to exalt everything else above his name? So we need to come and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and be faithful to the God that has chose us, that, that, that is our defender. Now, Jesus, if we look in the Bible, he always challenged the status quo. There were many times when Jesus came up the, against the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and everybody else who challenged Jesus. And Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He was the perfect one. He was the holy one. He was the only one that was clean. Everyone else was a sinner. And everyone else were trying to do works to make themselves more holy than the next. 
But in truth, they couldn't be holy because Jesus was the G. Now, Jesus didn't have a problem creating the stir. We need to think about how we can take a stand against the enemy and be the G that God called us to be. Amen. So you ever wonder exactly how you should pray? Like, should I get on my knees? Should I close my eyes? Should I say a whole lot of words or should I just get straight to the point? Anybody? Who better to follow advice from on prayer than Jesus, right? The one who prayed early in the morning before anyone else got up. The one who prayed so intense before his crucifixion that he sweat drops of blood. So we're going to look at the scripture and see what Jesus has to say about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus said, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So Jesus is saying that I don't have to use a lot of words? Like, huh? You know, some of us are like, yes. Like, I can just get straight to the point. You know, I could be like, God, you know what? I need X, Y, Z. All right, cool. Talk to you later. Peace out. But we know, as always, if we just read one scripture, we can miss an entire message, right? We have to read in context. But before I get more into the message of of what Jesus is saying, I want to read a different translation because sometimes when you read a different translation, it kind of opens up a new perspective. So let's read the New King James Version. And uh, here it says, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Now, you notice the big difference here, right? Gentile, heathen. That's a little stronger, right? When I read that at first, I was like, hold on, Jesus, who are you calling a heathen? Like, you talking to me? You know, but then it kind of hit home. I'm, I'm like, man, you know, when I'm in my worst, when I'm in my heathen state, That's when I have a whole lot to say. You know, I'm like, Lord, Lord, please forgive me. I really didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to do that. I mean, they were really just pushing my buttons. But when everything is going really good in my life, I don't have much to say in prayer, to be honest. Anybody else feel that way? So that brings me to the message in this scripture, this portion of scripture. Jesus is like, look, it's not the amount of words that will get the prayer through. It's the heart behind the prayer. It's the content of what you're saying. And not only that, this is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't just leave us hanging, amen? Not only that, Jesus shows us the pattern. He lays out the pattern in verses 9 through 13. And instead of me reading that, we're going to actually say it together because this is something we know as the Lord's Prayer. So let's say that together. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So once again, Jesus is showing us a pattern here. When we pray, first thing we need to do is we need to honor God. All right. Uh, We need to put some respect on his name. All right. Hallowed simply means holy. So when we, when, we, when we come to God, we need to realize that he's holy and we need to put some respect on his name. So turn to your neighbor and say, put some respect on his name. 
If you don't know what that means, sorry, I don't have time to go into that. I only got five minutes, all right? Um, We need to honor his kingdom. We need to honor his will and then ask him for our daily needs, our food, our shelter, our clothing, not our wants, not our desires, but the things that we need. And then we ask for forgiveness of sins. We don't just come to Jesus and come come to God with this long list of things. There's a pattern to this. And then Jesus shows us that we need to end our prayer by honoring God. Once again, putting him in his rightful place. Now, listen, I know that it hurts and it sucks sometimes when our prayers don't get answered. And ultimately, it's up to God. But I believe that we have a part to play in this also. When we approach God, we need to remember these few things. We need to honor God, have the right heart and the right motives, have faith and believe in God when we go to him in prayer, and just be real. We don't have to use thus, the just be real and talk to God. And I believe that this will, I believe this is the basic formula for getting the results that we need in prayer. And the results should be to get closer to God, become more like Jesus. Not a lot of things that we want in prayer, you know, not, not material things, but we want to be closer to God ultimately. And I want to end with this uh, quote. We look upon prayer simply as a means of getting things for ourselves but, but the biblical purpose of prayer is that we may get to know God himself. Amen. Good morning. Well, my huh statement comes in the middle of a story uh, where Jesus is interacting with a woman in Luke chapter 8, verse 42 to 48. Jesus, um, at this point, was going to heal a synagogue ruler, or I'm sorry, the daughter of a synagogue leader. Um, and as Jesus moved forward, as he was walking there, he faced smothering crowds. There was a woman there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had spent her entire livelihood on doctors, but no one could heal her. I want to talk about that woman for a minute. Um, I can relate to her quite a bit. For the last, I don't know, 20 years of my life, most of my adult life, I've dealt with a chronic illness, a chronic disease. Um, and in that, I've dealt with the hope of a cure when there probably isn't one, at least I haven't found one yet, Um, meds that sometimes work and uh, sometimes fail to work. I've dealt with um, doctor's visits that yield nothing, much like that woman. Um, Dealt with the struggle of changing my lifestyle, not being able to live my life the way I used to live it, the way I would like to live it. Dealt with um, the frustration of symptom flare-ups and are they my fault? Dealt with sometimes shame, sometimes sometimes even even depression. But the woman and I, we have a lot in common, but one thing we don't have in common is that her disease made her ceremonially unclean according to the laws of the day. Now, what that meant for her was something different than you and me. It meant that she was outcast from society because she couldn't touch anybody, bottom line. She would make them unclean. It made her separated from God because she couldn't go to the temple, and that's where God resided back then. Talk about hurt, loneliness, shame, depression. And so here she is, Let's become that woman. Here she is. She's standing at the edge of the crowd. One last hope. Let me get to Jesus. But there's a crowd. Imagine this theater full of people times about three, and we're trying to escape for a fire drill. And, but we all want to get to Pastor John, and Pastor John's in the middle of it, and he's being crushed by the crowd as he's trying to get out. That's what Jesus was looking like. And so here's this woman who everybody she touches becomes unclean. And these are her people. She knows these people. She's ducking and dodging and averting her eyes not to be found out. The fear mounting, the anxiety, will I get there? Can I get to Jesus? And finally, she reaches Jesus and touches the hem of his garment. And like that, she's healed. 
Ah, pressure's off. Anxiety's gone. Thank you, Jesus. I made it to you, right? But then he stops. He turns and he looks, maybe right over her gaze, because he probably knew who it was, and he asks, who touched me? That's where I go, huh, every time I read that. Because like Peter, I'm like, what are you talking about, Lord? There's, there's hundreds of people around you. I don't get it. How can it matter? But then Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. Power left me. And so then, knowing that she was going to be found out, she couldn't keep from being noticed. She bowed at his feet, and she confessed in front of everyone, the Bible says. And Jesus looks at her like Jesus always does, and he said, because she's expecting to be called out, right? All these people are unclean. Jesus is unclean. Going to call him out. And he says, no, daughter, your faith has made you healed. How amazing is that? So that is the point. That is the home point. We always kind of stop at the healing, but it's not about the healing, is it? It's about Jesus saying in front of everyone, daughter, you are now clean, right? What he didn't do is he didn't tell her to go to the temple like she was required. She didn't have to wait seven days, go to the temple, go to the priest, bring some doves to be sacrificed, and then she was clean. Right then, right there, that minute, she was clean. And that is the point. That's the point of the home statement. So what does that mean to us? What that means is we all live with that chronic disease called a sin nature, right? Um, The Bible tells us um, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Period. That's Paul in Romans. Um, And no matter how hard we try, there's no self-help. There's nothing that we can do in our humanness that can get us there. Right? But what this also tells us, and Paul continues in that same verse, though all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what it says next is that, I know I'm, I'm skipping around, sorry about that, um, for, for, for my slides, but by his grace, I would say, and are freely, we are freely justified, we are freely made clean by his grace through the redemption in Jesus Christ. Jesus came, he healed that woman, and so will he do us in making us clean. So there's nothing that we can do, right? Nothing we can do that'll separate us. There's nothing we can do that'll make us too lost. Nothing that'll make us too far from God, too able, too sinful, or too far from him. What we need to do is have courage, just like that woman. No matter where we are, push through the crowd of culture that tells us we're separated, that tells us we're far from him, and then we got to reach Jesus and bow down before him, touch the hem of his garment, Be made clean and go in peace. Do you ever see the news or hear about another tragedy and think this world is abrasive? It's cruel. Well, Luke 22 gives the account of the night leading up to Jesus's arrest and suffering. And in a private conversation with his followers, he wants to prepare them for the hostility that they would soon become intimately acquainted with. But he first reminded them of a time that he had sent them out, and he he had them reflect back on how God had provided for them. And he said, remember when you went to minister, and you took nothing of your own means to, to provide for yourselves, but did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. But now, Jesus says, 
If you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Uh-huh. That would be like Jesus saying today, dude, it's about to get really hard out there. You're going to need an AK. <laughs> so after he said this, they went to the place where Jesus would commonly spend the night in prayer. Judas, who was formerly a follower of Christ, but now in an act of betrayal, he brings a crowd to Jesus, and they come with the intent to arrest him. They're all armed, and Peter, one of Jesus' friends who sees that they're armed, he's ready to defend his master. So he uses that sword, the sword he was told to have, and he uses it. And Jesus said, no more of this. And every time I've read that, I've thought, which is it? Get a sword. Don't use a sword. It was strange enough that Jesus even suggested they have a weapon. He taught that if someone wants to strike you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. To understand Jesus' intent, we need to look at the context. Jesus was preparing his friends for his departure, but they could not wrap their minds around it. Jesus knew he came to die. God's plan of salvation required a payment for humanity's sin. And in obedience, my Lord went to the cross. That was my cross, and that was your cross. Jesus wanted his followers to be aware of the hostility they would face. And that's why he emphasized getting a weapon. He wasn't suggesting they go and wage war with the world using swords. This world was just not going to receive kindly their witness to his life and death and resurrection. Some of the followers would be imprisoned, and others, most, would die on account of their proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God. This leads me to ask, would I ever in fear hold back from telling someone about Jesus and telling someone about what he's done for me. I think about this 92-year-old woman who was the victim of an attempted robbery at Walmart. This man jumped into the front seat of her car, and he told her, I have a gun, and give me all of your money. Well, this feisty senior citizen said, not today, Satan. She gave him the gospel. She told him there's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. This was a woman of the word, y'all. And she said, you can kill me and I'll go to heaven. And she said, Jesus is always with me. I'm not alone in this car. What about you? Can you confidently say that when you die, you'll go to heaven? And if you are a Christ follower, are you practicing daily the awareness of his presence with you. Because to know Jesus' presence is to trust in God's defense. And to know God's defense is to live and maybe one day die with confidence. You know, Jesus trusted God's defense because when they came to arrest him and his friends jumped into action, he said, enough of this. And do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal 60,000 angels and you would depend on a sword? Wow. He is the God of the angel armies. Put your trust in God.
All right, so does anyone like board games? Man, I love board games, and I'm super competitive. I don't even let my kids win. I don't care what it is. Candyland, checkers, tic-tac-toe, they not winning. I once played shoots and ladders with my son for two straight hours until I won. I also like playing games that mimic real life, you know, like Monopoly or the game of life, you know, which is why, you know, Jesus, uh, his statement about uh, losing my life to gain it kind of makes me say, huh? I mean, how can, how can I win by losing? Well, because Jesus did. And so in Mark 8, it says here, when we, uh, Jesus says, when we, uh, Excuse me. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. So let me ask you something. What game are you playing? There's a story about these two kids uh, that wanted to play chess for the first time. They had set the board up and were moving their pieces diagonally, and they were jumping over each other's men until one of them had yelled, King me! And so the father, overhearing them, walks up to them, and he, he asks them, what is it that you're playing? And so the kids say, chess! And then the father says, no, kids, you're, you're not playing, you're playing checkers with chess pieces. It's not chess because you change the pieces. See, some of us are winning, but at the wrong game. It's easy to approach life like we're playing Monopoly. You know, get as much as you can, as quick as you can to achieve financial freedom, retire early, or do whatever it is that you want to do. But how many of y'all know that life ain't a board game? Now, don't get me wrong. It's the Lord that blesses us. It's him that makes us and gives us the opportunity to be wealthy. And sure, we should pursue career and life goals and family. But Jesus tells us to guard against greed. For life doesn't consist of the abundance of things. And that no man can serve two masters, money and God. No man can do it. So how in the world do I win then? Tell your neighbor, lose first. See, losing doesn't mean that you can't have nice things. It, does, it also doesn't mean being a monk. It doesn't mean praying 24-7 or even being perfect and walking on water. Rather, it's redefining success. It's dropping what the world qualifies as important to gain something far more than what the world can even offer, the love of God. It's making Christ the center of your world instead of you. It's living a life that's submitted to God under his authority and within his boundaries. Furthermore, God helps us to be earthly uh, successful, but it's Christ that purifies the motive and our heart. He transformed our heart from which we act and pursue these things. And God adds to them that, that seek him and his righteousness. So no longer will we play this game called life driven merely to obtain money and possessions, but rather let's use our money and use our possessions to serve others and advance the good news of Jesus Christ that Christ loves, that Christ saves, that Christ mends the brokenhearted. It's in this that we gain life. It's in this that we experience peace and sustainable joy through relationship with God. Amen? So let me tell y'all something. If Jesus had a scorecard, <laughs> it wouldn't really quite look like ours. You wouldn't win based on your 401k. 
You wouldn't win based on your houses or your insurance policy, but rather it would be based off of who did you love? Who did you forgive? Who did you build up? And who did you show mercy to? So let me tell you something. Gladly lose your will, your desire, and your preference for the pursuit of Christ today to gain the life that satisfies and fulfills, to gain the love that never runs dry and will accept you. Gladly lose your time for the benefit of others, your talent to build others up, and your treasure given generously because God's given generously to you. And I tell you what, along the way, give God your broken heart because he'll give you a new heart. Give God your sorrow because he'll give you joy. Give God your shame because God gives love and acceptance and you can give God your sin because he gives forgiveness freedom and life eternal i tell you at the cross christ lost his life but at the tomb he gained it back i can see christ on the cross saying you know what i may be losing but i'm really winning he won his life back he won our life back will you today i challenge you to lose your old life that you may gain new life life eternal in jesus christ Do you hold grudges? Do you just wait for the chance to get someone back when they've done you wrong? A lot of us do that. We count how many times uh, someone has sinned against us. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, Peter, who was a disciple that was in Jesus' inner circle, asked that question in Matthew uh, 18, verse 21. And that question was, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? who sins against me, up to seven times? You see, the question was brilliant because the first part of the question, he was seeking knowledge. He wanted to know how many times he actually had to forgive someone who offended him. The second part of the question, though, when he said up to seven times, he wasn't seeking knowledge anymore. He was seeking approval. He wanted a pat on his back. You see, the custom at the time was that you would forgive someone three times, and on that fourth, it was game on. You could go Old Testament. But Jesus, but Jesus in the typical huh fashion answered the question in verse 22. And he said, not seven times. Peter, you're off point. You're missing the whole picture of forgiveness. Not seven, but up to 77 or 70 times seven, which is 490. So you may ask, what are the significance of these numbers? And I'll tell you, there's no significance in these numbers. The real significance is who's counting. Are you counting how many times someone sins against you? Uh, so Jesus has a parable. And the parable is in Matthew 18, 23 and 25 through 35. And I'll paraphrase. There was a servant who owed his master $6 billion. And that master was going to sell him and his family and every one of his possessions to repay the debt. Well, he called the servant forward, and the servant got on his hands and his knees, and he begged and he pleaded for mercy. And the master looked at him and said, I forgive you. I cancel your debt. Well, that servant later on that day came across someone who owed him money. And he grabbed this other servant. He shook him and said, give me my money. And that servant owed him only 5000 Keep in mind, he was forgiven for $6 billion, and he's beaten someone up over 5000 
Well, that servant asked for mercy, and he didn't extend the least bit of grace at all. He had that servant jailed. Others that saw that told the master, and the master called for this unmerciful servant and had him arrested, tortured, and the debt was reinstated. You see, this story is so poignant, and the reason it is is because each and every one of us is in this story. That's six billion. Imagine the audacity of the servant to actually tell the master, I'm going to pay you back $6 billion. How many lifetimes would that take? It, it wouldn't matter if it was a gazillion dollars. It was a debt that he could never repay. And that's each and every one of us. We have all got a sin debt that we could never pay. We were born into sin and we're all sinners. But to over 2,000 years ago. That debt was paid on a cross on Calvary by Jesus Christ who lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. I don't care where you are right now in your life. You may be looking at all the things that you've done wrong. I'm not possibly good enough. That debt has been paid. It's a gift that's freely received if you just take it. Now, <laughs> and this applies to me and it may apply to some others. Some others have received this gift, but we're still counting. We're still counting all the times that we still fail. It's like, you know what? I've been saved for a while, but I keep on messing up, Lord. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. But you know what? Each and every one of us has got to take the approach of who's counting. We got to get up. We got to repent. And we got to keep on going. Take that weight of unforgiveness off of you so you can race the race that you're called to race. And the last thing I'm going to talk to is <laughs> some folks are like that unmerciful servant. And we, we just can't seem to forgive people. We can't seem to forgive people. And what we, what we all have to understand is this. Each and every person in here that professes the Christian faith, that nobody has sinned against you more than you have sinned against God. And you will never, 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 never forgive anyone more than you have already been forgiven. Come on, somebody. Just give it up, man. Didn't they do an incredible job? You know, man, this whole Huh series, um, my prayer was is that it would get Jesus out of your box that you put him in. Because I believe if we are completely honest, we domesticate Jesus. I know we got a bunch of people moving here. Sorry, it's second service. We'll get it a little, a little less distracting. Um, but here, he, the bottom line is this, we domesticate Jesus. Where we like to take him and put him in the box that we put him in. Instead of letting Jesus be Jesus and letting who he is shape us instead of taking him and shaping him into our image. And what I pray that this series has really, really done is it's helped you see some sides of Jesus that maybe you have not seen. And I pray it challenged you. I, I pray it, it, that it almost made you a little uncomfortable. That it almost for you made you go, huh, huh, there's some things in my life that I do need to change. 
There are some grudges I have been holding. There are some things that I've been winning at the wrong game. You've been playing a game. You've, you have been climbing the ladder that's on the wrong wall. You've been winning at the game in life that ultimately in the end doesn't matter. You, you, you have seen prayer and kind of thought of prayer as what can I get from God? When that's not the point of prayer, the point of prayer is getting God. It's relationship. Some, some of you here, you, you are living. And, and, and just as Alan talked about, you have the, I mean, you feel like you have this chronic disease that just keeps on rearing its ugly head in your life. And you need to get rid of your pride, fight through the crowd, fight through whatever's holding you back and say, Jesus, I'm coming to you desperate and broken. I need you today. You know, some of you here, you look at your qualifications. You know that God has called you to do something specifically for him, but all you can think or dwell on is your past and you are disqualifying yourself. You're disqualifying yourself when God hasn't disqualified you. He qualifies you because of what Jesus did. So here, here's the bottom line. I know something that one of the one of these people spoke today was for, for you. And if you came today for five minutes, it was worth it. If you came today to hear one thing that they spoke into your spirit and that spoke to you specifically, it was worth it today. So look, I believe this. The word of God, when it is spoken, it requires a response from us. If we all could stand up. That whenever the word of God is spoken, here's the bottom line. You know, we're a church. We believe the Bible's true. Every single word. We, we believe that it is the inspired word of God. We believe that it has the power to change hearts, lives, to literally change your life. We take God at his word. And I know in this culture where it's kind of looked at the Bible's archaic and God's archaic and we need to, you know, just flow with culture. I don't know about you. I see where culture's going. I see where it's leading and, 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 and going. And I don't know about you, but I... I want to build my life on something firm and foundation that's been trusted for thousands and thousands of years. And, but we believe that whenever the word of God is spoken, that, that it requires us to then respond, not, not just hear and think about, not just hear and, and, and be like, that was a cool sermon, bro, and go get, you know, and go get salsas, even though I'm down with some salsas. Uh, you know, not just hear God's word and move on, but hear God's word and respond. I believe there's something that really happens when we take God's word, think on it, dwell on it, and then take a physical step of saying, what am I going to do to apply what I just heard? And so look, this is what we're going to do here, man. We're going to put on worship. We're going to sing the song, Reckless Love, that I just want to let you know, you know, God loves you with a reckless love. But then too, look, if there was something that somebody down here spoke, and you need prayer today, you want to respond. And the bottom line is this, it could be a prayer request, it could be something that you, the, the, you just want to share with them, something that you would like them just to maybe die, you know, dive in more on. But here's the thing, if you want that, or you need prayer today, you know you need to take a physical step of faith and come down as, as a physical act of showing God, I'm serious, God, I'm fighting through my insecurities, through my doubts, through this, and I'm gonna come down and I want to hear you and, and, 
and and have one of these people here speak into my life. When this song's playing, we want to give you the freedom to do that. Everyone else here, we're just going to ask you stick around, worship, pray, whatever you got to do from your seat, that's totally fine. But at the same time, if you want to take a step of faith and, and come out here and and come down here, promise we're not going to be weird, promise we're not going to spit on you, promise we're not going to try to push you over or nothing like that. But if you want to come down and receive prayer, we want to give you that opportunity today. Why? Because we believe God in this moment, right here, right now, wants to speak to you and, 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 and for you to have an encounter with, with God. Like I said, we're just going to pray. We're just, we're just going to worship here. If you want to come down and get prayer and, and, and receive prayer, you're welcome to. In the meantime, let's sing. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kill Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchna.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.